0: Anyway, uh, uh, there is uh, is a wealth of uh, not specifically Jewish sources. Of course, Psalms is part of the the Christian canon. It's part of uh, many other canons outside of our Chavdal at Tanach. Tanakh. And it's really one of the interesting things is you can line up about... 20 to 25 different translations, uh, the New King James Bible, the 1917 JPS, uh, the New International Translation, all of these, uh, I'm out. If anybody, you could certainly share with me, Irene, if you would like. I'm sorry, I did not, uh, I was not ambitious enough with the printing tonight. Um, thank you all for coming as well. Anyway, um, you could go ahead and compare those translations. So this is a good translation. We'll see that there are some, uh, there are some uh, departures from what, uh, what might be the traditional meaning of the text. Uh, but the way that we're going to do it is as follows. I'd like to start actually with the second psalm on page six. We'll start with that one. And if we have time, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and make our way to, uh, to the one on page five. And this psalm is actually the very first psalm, in, uh, in what we call the Tikkun Klali. Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, once again, connecting our, uh, connecting our shiurim, the series that we did before. Rabbi Nachman of Breslev instituted a daily practice for his chassidim, and it's become very widespread. I personally am not a Breslev chassid, and I try and do it, uh, which is to say, as a general rectification, a tikkun klali, a general uh, remedy, uh, to say ten kapitlach of tehillim, ten uh, ten uh, chapters of Tehillim, kapitel is Yiddish for a chapter. I'll try and remember to say chapter. But uh, ten kapitlach of Tehillim. There I go. Um, that uh, that a person should say as a general remedy for all spiritual malaises. So this psalm is the very first, and this actually is the very first psalm that begins with the word michtam. Uh, there's another five or six after it that share that title michtam. And uh, what we'll do is the following. I'm going to still play around a little bit with how I think uh, the formatting of this will be, but I'd like to go ahead and read the psalm verse by verse. And then what we'll go ahead and do afterwards is we'll talk about what the theme, the big picture idea of the psalm is, and then we'll get deep. We'll go a little bit deep into uh, some fascinating ideas, the notions that are buried within. Michtam leDavid, David, shamreini el ki bach. Michtam of David, protect me Hashem for I have taken refuge in you. I said to Hashem, You are my God, all of my goodness comes from you. Gimel, Likitoshima Sherba ba'aretz the Adire and the translation here says, The holy that are in the earth, they are excellent, in whom is all my delight. Let the idols of them be multiplied that make suit unto one another. I understand that this is probably opaque at best. This English translation. Don't worry. We'll we'll get into it. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer nor take their names upon my lips. These two psukim are the most difficult verses in the psukim and it's actually, um, it's actually a, a place where the traditional interpretation of the Pasak is totally at odds with the way, that this, uh, the way that it's translated over here. I'll explain in a moment. Verse 5. Adonai manas chalki vekosi ata tamich garali God, you are my portion. You protect and you save my fate. You guide my fate. Your ropes fall upon me pleasingly and you are my portion. My portion improves and I find myself taking refuge in you. Verse 7. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. Yea, in the night seasons my rains instruct me. I shall place, I shall set God before me always, He shall never depart from me, from my right arm. Therefore, my heart is gladdened, my intellect, we would say, kvodi, my honor, my glory rejoices, even my very flesh can dwell in security. Last two verses, Kilo Taazov Nafshi Lishol, Lo Titein Chasid Chaliro Shachas. You will not let my soul descend down into Sheol. Sheol is an English word as well. What does Sheol mean? Yes. What did you say? Yes. Ask? No, no, that's, I mean, in English, the word Sheol has found its way into English. Lishol, to ask something in It means hell, it means hell, right? Sheol, S H E O L, right? So that becomes a term for hell, for the pit, one might say. You will not allow your dedicated, your chassid, your dedicated servant to see destruction. You make me follow the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy and your right hand is a bliss forevermore. So there are a number. Question? This This is Psalm uh, 16. It's printed at the top of the page. In Hebrew, This is Psalm 16. Dead Zion, Psalm 16. So. I think it's worth asking, especially with the difficult phrases over here, what exactly is the theme of this Pasuk? So I'd say the two main themes, not to summarize the chapter, but the two main themes in the chapter here are twofold. The first is that there is a relationship, a personal relationship to every person, every faithful person enters with God. Uh, it's the way that we experience our faith in general. When it's active in us, we experience our faith as a personal relationship. We do not relate to God. Uh, more often than not, we, when we are relating to God, we don't relate to God as some sort of abstract idea. We imagine God uh, as, and it's only human to do so, we imagine God as as human form, as a presence in our life, as something that is something that is a guiding hand, that the, the guides our right hand. We imagine God as being a, a, a constant presence. That's what we would call hashkacha pratit. The Rambam, Maimonides, uh, talked famously in the of Nebuchim. He talked about two different types of hashkacha, two different types of God's providence. The first type of God's providence is the providence of what we would call hashkacha klalit. Uh, I think we might even associate them painting in broad strokes here, we might associate that with nature, the natural function of the world, the, the natural way of the world, the fact, the way that God manages uh, world events, human events in general, how, uh, how God is behind the news and the God of history, so to speak. And then there's hashkacha Pratit. The way that we experience hashkacha Pratit is that if I sin, for example, I feel like I've broken a relationship. If I do a mitzvah, if I do a good deed, I feel like I've drawn closer in the relationship. It's the atta, it's the you, the fact that we refer to God Baruch atah Hashem elokeinu olam, the Rambam writes he says that if a person would understand the duality of every blessing that we make you would say we're referring. I, I remember learning Spanish for, uh, in high school so in Spanish you could refer to somebody else as usted and tu tu is informal usted is a formal way of referring to people ata is what we would call like I speak to you I'm speaking ata hey you God and then we go ahead, the Raman says, immediately we're blown back by the recognition of the awesomeness of the Almighty, the God, the master of the entire universe. That duality of relationship is I think what the Raman was talking about when he uh, tried to explicate the difference between the general the general providence and the Pratit. I think that this psalm uh, is, is, is firmly ensconced in the world of the Pratit. That David Hamelch, and this is a psalm of David Hamelch that's attributed to David Hamelch, to King David. This psalm uh, represents what we would call a hadadiut, a duality, a, a quid pro quo, maybe. Uh, that we give God things. I found my refuge in you, now you take care of me. Shamreni Elki Chasisi Bach, guard me, Hashem. Because I have taken refuge in you. In a passive sense, I have no refuge anywhere else but you, O oh God. And in an active sense, I constantly seek out God when things are hard for me. That's the first theme, I think, of the psalm. The second theme is, is, is a sub-theme of this, which is, which is uh, I think, one of anxiety. And I'll explain what I mean. Um, in the commentary of Yaakov Meir Shechter and Yeshua's Essa, the name of his Sefer, the name of his book on psalms, he says that it was the practice of David Amelech as taught to us by the Midrashim, various commentaries, that David Amelech would have this as a michtam. He would have this as a crown. Michtam uh, comes from the word ketem. Ketem is a Hebrew word that means gold. Ketem refers to gold. That we said that this was like a crown, Rashi says. This was a crown on David Amelech's head. Now, David HaMelech certainly wore a regular crown like any other king. So what does it mean that it was a crown on his head? That this was David HaMelech's tefillin, so to speak. That this was an idea that was constantly on David HaMelech's mind. What do I have on my mind? And, and, and I'm going to surprise you, I think, because I was surprised to read it. What he had on his mind was, was a, a tone of anxiety, right? I, I, um, I talk about this every year with the Nusana Tolkev. Um, uh, when we say that, that highest prayer uh, that pinnacle of the high holiday services, we say mi ba'esh, mi ba'mayim, right? Who by fire? Who shall we say is calling? If you ask Leonard Cohen. So when we talk about, do we talk about an uncertainty, an existential anxiety? What does the future hold for us? What is the the coming year, or what does the the coming day bring for us, right? And we know. I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to dwell on this point too much because it's it's too scary almost to speak about. But we know that every single person. Well. You fill in the blanks. I don't want to, I'll t- right? They say, I'll tiftach satan. I don't want to, but, but the anxiety of, how do I know that this, I, you know, somebody asked me something Somebody asked me once upon a time, I had like an interview, and they go, what's, a, you know, what's the five-year plan for you? I said, five years. Five years. I, I, don't, I don't even, I get anxious thinking about tomorrow. I get anxious thinking about tomorrow. Are you kidding me? I mean, maybe it's, it's genetic, right? This is, I'm Jewish, but, but there is a kind of, I think, I think that's, that's even not so much a joke. There is a notion, psychologists have identified inherited trauma of a people that I always talk about, yeah I always talk about my uh, my, uh, my Hungarian lineage, right so if you know Hungarian survivors, so you know they, I think that they lived with a constant anxiety i 'll explain what that means. The constant anxiety is what happens if tomorrow all the food is taken away? What happens if tomorrow what happens if tomorrow, if every possession that we have, if every possession that we have is taken away? Right? I know survivors uh, I know this is not my family, so don 't go looking. I know survivors that, that, that took every. Uh, that took their paycheck, converted into cash, and would not trust banks. Their money was, their money was buried in their houses. In my grandparents' house, food food was, food was an anxiety. You better be eating. You better be eating. You better make sure that you are full, because who knows what tomorrow is going to bring. This sense of what will tomorrow bring. So David Amelch lived with that kind of anxiety, that kind of sense of, I am a king, I'm the most powerful Jew that there is, I have a palace, I have, I have everything. I'm a warrior, I'm a poet, I, I, I could do anything. I'm a king, and yet the Jewish king carries on his mind all the time, Shom el ki Protect me, Hashem, because I'm taking refuge only in You, not in my armies, not in my horses, not in my chariots. As David Amel says in another psalm, I don't trust the the thick thighs of the warriors, or or the might of the chariot. I don't put my trust in that. Where do I put my trust? What's my insurance policy? And this is something that that comes back at the end of the psalm. At the end of the psalm, David HaMelech says, even after I find my refuge in, in you, he says, I, I know. I know that you're not going to leave me to wither. I know that you're not going to leave me to eternal damnation, to shaol. I know that that's not going to happen. You're not going to give chasid chaliro shachas. You're not going to allow your pious... Uh, adherent, the person that connects to you, that follows you, you're not going to let that person see desolation. It can't be. It can't be that 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 you're pious, that the zealous for God are going are going to see ultimate desolation. Whether or not that's actually borne out in reality is a different thing. I, I would I would argue that it's a matter of perspective here. But it's it's a sense that Rav Rav Schechter, Rav Yaakov Mershachter says that Taven would wake up and, and no matter what, he would always he would always be saying, Shamraini, 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 protect me, protect me, protect me. This would be the line. And the interesting fact is is that the Gemara and Brachas tells us that the, the true mode of tefillah, one of the true modes of tefillah, is that you don't wait until, uh, until catastrophe, God forbid, strikes. You don't wait until things are going bad. You are mocked in tefillah you go ahead and you, you, you precede the tzara, shalot right? Any sort of bad situation that shouldn't happen to any of us, to anybody we know. That tzara we, we introduce, we start and we say, I'm praying to Hashem even before it happens. I'm showing almost, if you imagine our relationship with God as an as individual relationship, I'm showing, I don't only call you when I need you, right? I call you because I want to speak with you. I call you because ultimately my guiding principles is that you're going to be the one that protects me. So, this is, this is what this is the Michtam Ledavid. This is, the Ibn Ezra says this is one of the most beautiful of the Psalms. The Ibn Ezra, the great, uh, the great medieval exegete, writes, he says, Mizbor Nikhbad. This is a very honorable, uh, one of the most honorable Psalms. Kamo Ketem Paz, this like a golden crown. So, he's riffing off what Rashi is saying, although oh, Rashi says the word Michtam itself, also is the Ptichasa, it's the introduction to the psalm and it's a reference to musical notation now let's go through verse by verse and we'll take a look at some of the fascinating aspects of this particular psalm once we've set once we've once we've uh, placed the theme in front of ourselves the, what, sorry, what yes i mentioned uh, the the safer i mentioned right now is a safer in hebrew called yeshua's esa Uh, Yeshuas Esa, which is, uh, the author is Rav Yaakov Meir Shechter, who is a Breslov Mashpia and leader in Yerushalayim. And then I've also mentioned in English, a really excellent book uh, by a member of our community, Ruben Ibrahimov, who wrote a book, From Your Lips to God's Ears, which is uh, very good in English, uh, excellent uh, work on Tehillim as well. So verse number two says, Amart. Now, if you notice, that it takes a feminine form. Uh, why does it take the feminine form over here? Is because according to the commentators, David Amelch is speaking to his soul. The soul, is, uh, the soul is seen as a feminine aspect of every human being, and that's why when David is talking to himself, talking to his soul, he says, Amart, you said, La Hashem adoinoi ata toivasi bal said to Hashem that you are my God. It's a statement, once I found refuge in you, I know that this is true because you are my God. I have no God, but Thee. you are the only God. And we say, we say, Tovasi the Yerushalmi, the Gemara in Yerushalmi, in Brachot, says that this is the halachic source for the requirement to make a blessing before we derive any pleasure from this world that in a sense that the blessings that we make the berchot hanen and the blessings on pleasure that we make, I go ahead and I have um, uh, I go ahead and I have like a nice coffee and I want to go ahead and I want to make a shahakol on it, so when I go ahead uh, right, it's always going to come back to coffee right, so when I go ahead and I have this coffee, so a uh, nice pour over from Blue Bottle the three Africas came yesterday, it's delicious, so you go ahead and you uh, and you make your brach hanen. you think Hashem, you think of the labor that went into making this coffee, the craftsmanship that went to bring these grounds, uh, the technology that allows them to be shipped and brought to my house, you know, a week after, days after they've been roasted. That's, what, that's all the stuff that comes into a bracha. But then the final stage is that we recognize that everything of this world is is God's. David HaMelech says in another psalm, Hashem HaAretz Humuloa Teva V'Yosheva. The earth is the Lord's. Everything that exists in this world is God's and to God's alone. So that's why the Gemara in Brachos and Brachos in the Bavli tells us that anybody that goes ahead and derives pleasure or benefit from this world without making a blessing from it, which is a really serious thing, maal was going ahead and, and basically stealing from the temple. Right, A person would go ahead and would dedicate a certain object or a sum of money to the temple. So for me to go ahead and to use that for my personal purposes, that's not just uh, being gozel from a kaddish I'm stealing from God, I'm also stealing from the temple. It's tempting not to like go in and saying like I really need a pizza. Let me go up to the pushka. Let me go up to the uh, to the charity box and go ahead and take out my pizza money from that. Right? It's a despicable thing. But that's how the gemara goes ahead and describes enjoying from Hashem's world without a bracha, not recognizing who goes ahead and gives us who bestows this uh, upon us. So that gemara and brachos uh, gives a different makor. But the Gemara in Yerushalmi says that this tovasi b'al all the good that comes to me is only from you. So the Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, sees this as the source for saying that if I eat without making a bracha, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking something from the possession of God uh, that's not mine. Uh, Rashi says it's a little bit different. Rashi says in his commentary on this tovasi b'al in a, again maybe riffing off of this anxiety uh, thing. And I want to go back to that a little bit. I don't want to just leave us with anxiety. But Rashi is saying over here that Tovasi Valalecha, that David HaMelech is, is reminding himself that he doesn't deserve anything. Right? All of the stuff that he's got and everything that he has in his life is a, a quirk an accident, not through his merit, not through something that he deserves. God, you've given me much more than I deserve. Uh, You know, my cup overflows with your blessings. I didn't deserve this. So that's Rashi's way of interpreting it. Yes, Susan. Is all of this written before Uriah HaChiti? So, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I wasn't able to go ahead and to track it down. I'll explain what Susan's question is also. Uriachite, if you're re- referring to the husband of Bat Sheva, right, so, so I guess it's worth, whenever you talk about David HaMelech and um, the godliness of David HaMelech, Mashiach Hashem, that he was God's anointed one, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to escape the fact that there is one particularly sordid and challenging and difficult episode in David HaMelech's life. Uh, Believe it or not, the first year when I was very wet behind the ears—I still am—the first year I gave in Lincoln Square Synagogue, I remember Rabbi David Friedman and Ari Clapultz were there. Two people were there for the shear. I gave a shear on. Uh, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm in a modern Orthodox shul, sure, it's Lincoln Square. So I spoke about General David Petraeus. Remember General Petraeus? Mm-hmm. He had had an affair, one of the most powerful men in the military, he had had an affair, had compromised, and he lost everything for it. So I compared that to David HaMelech and the Ma'aseh of Bat Sheva. The Gemara says, the Gemara says, the Gemara, I, you know, this is a whole other shir, so you'll forgive me if I don't dwell in it too much. The Gemara tells us that, sorry, that David HaMelech, anybody that says King David sinned with Bathsheba, uh, is mistaken. What happened is, is that David HaMelech, uh, you know, say, uh, the song, Leonard Cohen for the second, saw her bathing on the roof, right, however you want to understand it. So David HaMelech saw this woman and, and, and recognized that she needed to be his wife and, and created, a, created a ruse for her husband to be killed on the battlefield, Uriah HaChiti. Um, those are the facts of the case. It's printed in Shmuel. It's a much bigger thing. Um, there are some people that say, it's interesting that you mentioned that this was not a plant. There are some people that say that this psalm, uh, even though it doesn't tell us, or it makes no overt reference to it, that this psalm was written after David Amelch was seeking tshuva. Right? The prophet Natan, Natan the prophet, mm-hmm. came and told David Amelch, and David says he accepts. Now, part of what we have to remember is we're talking about a king in the ancient Near East, right? Can you imagine a king that goes, the king does whatever they want, right? The king doesn't go ahead and even make a ruse. I see a woman, I take her, right? Uh, th- there's no question about it, right? I see something I want. Powerful men do this all the time, even nowadays. I see something I want because it's mine. David not to justify, but David creates this ruse, and you could see the hesitancy along the way. But imagine if the prophet comes over and says, by the way, king, uh, you've gone ahead. By the way, you know... Uh, by the way, uh, King Henry, you know, uh, it was, it was a bad, you gave Anne Boleyn, you gave her, a, that was a sorry deal, why do that? So he would, off with his head as well, right? Off with his head as well. Davin HaMelech goes ahead and immediately, now you have to remember, again, I mentioned celebrity a while ago, right? Just the concept of like, of like what it means to occupy and to live life in that sphere, I think is hard for us to understand. David HaMelech is a king, he's a king of Israel, he's a prophet, he's a warrior, um, he's won battles already. For him to go and accept responsibility, even if you say that this was a total sin. So that's something, It's it might be the sense that David is, is felt um, sometimes if, if we sin, uh, if someone sins, I'll say this when I feel like I don't do the right thing, I'll say whatever protection uh, that I've been seeking out from God, whatever goodness, like I almost the anxiety starts to kick in, you know, something's not going to go my way or the shear's not gonna go my way, or you know uh, I'm gonna have a tough conversation tomorrow that's not gonna go right, right? That's when I, so I said I want to get back to anxiety, uh, maybe I'll use my own inner life as a way to, I, hopefully it resonates, is this sense, not anxiety in the negative way, it's a constant awareness, right? We, we associate an anxiety, a constant recurrent thought, I'm not speaking clinical terms here, right? But a constant recurrent thought that goes ahead and impedes my function impedes my function. This is, this kind of fear of God, this kind of hashkachah pratit, this kind of personal relationship with God is one of a constant thought, a constant mind frame that goes ahead and impels me to positive action, right? It it causes me to do mitzvot, to be conscious of the outcomes of my actions, to be conscious of the effects of my actions on the world and, and how that affects my relationship with God. So there are some who say, I, I have yet to find the source, I didn't put it in, I didn't plan speaking, that, that this psalm was composed, this psalm was composed in the aftermath of that when David felt himself exposed, when David felt his protection, his divine protection uh, taken away, uh, denuded of that protection. Verse... Verse Gimel and Dalet, uh, so I, if you look over here in the English, for the holy that are in the world, very awkward translation, it seems that what David Amalek is referring to over here is after he's declared his fealty to God and God alone, uh, so he refers cynically to Kedoshim Asher Ba'aretz to the other idols, to the other holy things out there in the world. And everybody wants to connect to them. How do we know that this is a, a probably the correct reading? Is because kesef is zahav. We say on Shabbos also in Tehillim that atzavehem Etzev, which means sadness, is also a shame near the synonym for idolatry. Atzavehem, their atzavim, their gods are kesef So we say Yirbu atzvosam. I will not pour out any libations for them. This is why it's hard. I was like getting nervous reading this verse by verse. I'm like, that makes no sense. But we have to go ahead and we have to get deep into perish. The Hebrew here is very, very high. They will increase in their idols. They will increase in their gods. They run after them. And then they, gods, right, they find very quickly the running to another one. Idol never really helps out. I will not pour out my libation of dam. In Judaism, we have libations on the altar of wine and water at certain points in the year. Apparently for idolatry, the macabre nature of idolatry, there would be blood libations as it were. And I do not carry their names on my lips. That's a verse also uh, in the Torah in the prohibition of idolatry. So it says, "Lo that you're not allowed to make mention of the names of idols even the names of those gods should not be mentioned on your lips. Baal Esa, Shemosam, al I shall not go ahead and put their names and put the names of these gods. They will not cross my lips. Continuing on, Hashem Minas Chalki, vekosi atatomich korali chavalim nafli v'neimim afnach l'shafra alai. So how do I experience this hashkacha Pratis? How do I experience the duality of my relationship with God? So the Malbim tells us that there are six ways in which we experience the Malbim, Rabbi Meir Leibish Wisser Malbim, a great uh, b- biblical exegete of the 19th century Poland. Um, <clears throat> he writes over here that the six terms over here are actually meant to talk about the six levels of divakos, of connection, of cleaving to God that one can experience. Minat, a portion. Chalki, uh, well, menat I would say is like a portion, like a mana, right? It's a it's much smaller portion in a much smaller sense. Chalki, my lot. Kosi, my cup. Tomich Gorali, my fate. Chavalim, the ropes that fall over me. And then God becomes my nachala, right? God becomes my everlasting domicile, my everlasting abode. Those are the six phrases used over here according to the Malbim to refer to the deveikus, to the way that one feels their relationship with Hashem when they've given themselves over to this kind of a closeness of relationship, to this kind of a uh, deveikut, to this kind of cleaving to God. Then he continues. He says, Avarekhsa <laughs> Sheme Yasruni Klayot refers to Kishkas. Klayot refers to our um, to our kidneys is Klayot. We say that God is <laughs> Bochein Klayot Valev that God checks our klayot and our heart, our kidneys and our heart. That's not only what it means. Make God it goes so ahead and checks kidneys are to make sure it's kosher. To make sure it's kosher. <laughs> it's very, well, it's very hard. Well, that's liver. It's very hard to kosher. Right. But, um, but the reference to klayot, what we call musar klayot, is actually also meant taken in classical understanding to be referring to instinct, to be referring to the instinctual side, my kishkas, right? Mm-hmm. My kishkas. Yeah. I knew it in my kishkas. Yeah. right? So we say... We have a reference, for example, the Talmud, the Talmud says that uh, the Talmud and the Midrashim tell us that Avraham Avinu, that Abraham kept all of the mitzvot, kept all of the commandments, uh, even, even Erevin. Uh, he would keep even the rabbinic commandments um, even before the Torah was given so the Gemara asks and Bereshit Rabbah they ask as well they said where did David HaMelech know the mitzvot from? How did he? where did Avraham know the mitzvot from? excuse me the Torah wasn't given yet it said that Avraham enjoyed such a close relationship with God Avraham was so attuned to what the divine will wanted instinctually it says of he learned it from his kidneys meaning that Avraham had reached a level of alignment with what God wanted which is expressed to us through revelation and through the Torah what God wants. Avram expressed it at such a... a, understood it at such a deep level that even before the Torah was given, all of his actions were aligned with what the Torah would, would, would command us many generations later. So, David says, I will bless God because God has now become not just something on, on the outside, not just an idea, not just a thought, but God has become instinctual. What God wants, my relationship with God, is an instinctual relationship. Finally, he says, in one of the most famous verses, I think in all of Tanakh, What's amazing to me is sometimes you know we have these verses that go ahead. It'll be nice if it, this one was over the uh, the Aron Kodesh over here, but it does appear it's not downstairs. Downstairs is Shalom 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 L'racho Kula Amar Hashem. But if you look if you look in many sidurim, if you look in many sidurim, I don't see a spartic sitter here. Especially oh, I do see a Sephardic sitter over here. I wonder. I hope I'm not going to be mistaken. But if you look in a Sephardic sitter. Or Hasidic Sidurim. So you'll see at the very beginning, at the very beginning it starts with a Shivisi. It starts with a Shivisi. Hopefully this one has it. This is the Kol Yaakov Sidur. does not have the Shivisi. Okay. My Sidur that I daven from every day, the Chalchus Yoshua Sidur, has a Shivisi. It has a menorah you've probably seen with another verse of, of Psalms in it. But it says, "Shivisi Hashem lenegdi tamid." I place God before me at all times. No, right. downstairs, downstairs, downstairs is Shalom Shalom L'racha Kula There are some synagogues will have dalif neymiatah Know before whom you are standing, which is another way of saying, "Shivisi Hashem lenegdi samid." I place God before me at all times, constantly. What's fascinating is that um, I was today. I was yesterday years old when I was like rereading this, and I found out that actually Shivisi Hashemlenegdi Tamid is not an entire verse. Shivisi Hashemlenegdi Tamid says, It doesn't change the meaning of it, but there's more to that verse which is a constant. That verse actually uh, finds its way into the very first Siman, the very first uh, line in Shulchan Aruch, the very first law in the code of Jewish law where we talk about we talk about that we have to go ahead a person can think that they are alone and that nobody sees them means that God sees all of our actions that halacha I mean what a fitting way to start off a book of Jewish law to say Jewish law is not something that we only keep when other people are watching Jewish law is something that we keep uh, even when people are not watching, even when I'm alone, even when I'm, when I'm uh, mitbodev from Anashim. God is with me, and I have to place God in front of me all times. I once heard a daring, um, a daring interpretation of this from Rabbi Meir Twersky, Rosh Hashim, Y.U. He used to give a Thursday night, um, he used to give a Thursday night Chabura. Uh, he would talk about the Ramam. In fact, what I heard about Baruch Atah Hashem al That duality of Noach Nistar. That duality of directly referring to God and then an obscure, an obscuring of the divine presence. I heard that from him as well. Uh, you have to always say who you learn things from. Uh, but he said, "Shivisi If I had a relationship with God and I assume God to be this omniscient, all-powerful, universe-encompassing being, that would preclude a relationship. That would make it nearly impossible. I'm infinitesimal. What room is there for me in God's world? What room is there for for me in a relationship with God? Shivisi comes to the word shave. Rabbi Torsky said shave means to make equal, not just to place before me, but to make God equal to me at all times. That the only way I can truly imagine or truly. Internalized relationship with God is when I'm mashve. When from the, I mean, the Hebrew language is gorgeous. Like the shiviti, the word for placing in front of me also comes the word mashve to equalize. That I have this sense that God is equal to me. That I place that God is a partner. So this is certainly a relationship with God. Now, in Tehillim, David Amel certainly has ways that he goes ahead and relates to God, in which he says that God is this awesome, omniscient being, right? Elokei Kol Ha'Aretz, and and that and that we could barely even touch the inscrutable God, and, and yet that, and then, and then we come very, very close to the up close and personal and intimate with our relationship with God, that we say, God never leaves me. Therefore my heart rejoices. And my, kavod, my glory rejoices as well. Even my flesh, even my very skin, uh, my, very, uh, my very body, My physicality uh, can dwell at peace. Now the Malbim uh, says that no word here is extraneous. No word here is... uh Every word here is significant, it's omni-significant. There's meaning and depth in the repetition of words over here. The Malbim has another gorgeous interpretation of this. He says these are also three levels of joy, three levels of realization of what happens after I go ahead and make this leap of faith in finding this relationship with God. The first is smach libi. The first is what we would say a joy, a kind of, uh, I would say, an instinctual joy, uh, an emotional joy. Smach libi. my heart rejoices then there's an intellectual joy yagel kvodi i'm able to feel at ease intellectually kvodi my glory glory of a person is their intellect i feel joyous with that afpisariyishkonavatah and then finally uh, that i'm able to put both my intellectual and emotional joy into action Besar hu uh, basar. We say in Parshas Noach that I see the yetsar lev Adam The will or the inclination of humanity is bad from the very youth, because they're just flesh. They're simple flesh and bones, and and we have we have. Um, we have a negative inclination, we have a yetsahara, and we have a Yetzer, HaTov, right? And we say, uh, for example, I saw I was uh, tossing out my brother's notes last night, that he left in my house from something, I put it in Seamus, but he, he wrote, uh, I forgot who he was quoting, so he quoted, uh, a word for creation is Yetzirah, is creation. It also is a word for inclination. Yitzer hatov and Yitzer It's the same thing that God created us. Vayitzer Hashem is the Adam. God created us with both of these. This. This animalistic, this instinctual, this seeking out of ple- this hedonic drive, and then we also have uh, we have the other side of it that goes against Tov to sublimate our ego, to sublimate our uh, our physicality. So when I have this relationship with God, when I found my refuge in God, and I need nothing else, then I no longer have to contend with my with my baser instincts and inclinations. Finally, ki, Lo Tazov, Nav shi shol, Lo Titen The Gemara in tells us in the name of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi that Hell has seven different names. One of the names for Hell is Sheol. Became a name for the pit. Descending into the pit. That was one of the names it. this is seen uh, by Chazal as one of the sources, one of the most direct sources for a reference to life after death in Judaism. Of course, our Torah only makes oblique reference, if at best, uh, to a, a world to come, despite the fact that it is a tenet of our faith, that it is a foundational belief that we have, that there is, there is a world to come, there is a place where the righteous receive their reward, and that the wicked receive their punishment, that there is Harva onesh. Maimonides' code Codifies this or codifies this in his Yud Gimli, Kare Amuna, in his 13 foundational principles of faith. So we have references to it uh, all around, uh, all throughout uh, Shas, and uh, referencing places in Tanakh. So Davinavach says, You will not. So what's the greatest anxiety of all? That, uh, that we're a blip, that we're here, and then we're gone, and then we're forgotten. And um, right, I, I always mention that the pressing line, the uh, neuroscientist, the David Eagleton. I wrote a book called Some. It's a thought experiment. He imagines the world to come in 42 different ways. So one of the chilling lines, it was a New York Times bestseller, one of the most chilling short stories they have there. He says a person dies three deaths. The first is when their body stops functioning. The second is when they're lowered into the grave. And the third is when their name is spoken for the last time. Right? That could happen depressing, right? Davina says don't be depressed. Davina says that greatest fear, that greatest anxiety that one could have of we trust in you Hashem that you will not let my soul uh, be obliterated that you will not let my soul be lost for all time that I have a purpose that I am here for a reason and that there is life after death You will not let me. It can't be that somebody that cleaves to God, who most certainly exists, who most certainly runs the world, can't be that somebody that cleaves to God, finds themselves forgotten. In the the netzach sense, totally forgotten forever. That cannot be. That is the greatest refuge in God. Uh, That is, I think, one of the main reasons why people adopt. A religious life that we say to ourselves there's got to be something more than uh, than the than the 70 80 years that a person has in this world that's also from david Ambelach uh, because a man's life is 70 years and if we have strength 80 years this sense that uh, that we're here for a purpose and we're here for eternity as well in the, in the end, the coda to this beautiful psalm says that in God is fullness of joy. Sova smachus is panecha. My saba zechron used to say this. This was one of the many psukim that he would say when he would see me. You know, a lot of different verses when my saba would see me. So when he would look at me, he would say, Sova smachus is panecha. May your face be satisfied with simcha. His face was satisfied with simcha. I remember my saba saying this. Another verse that he used was Smach b'chor v'yaldu secha. Uh, rejoice, So oh youth. Rejoice, rejoice, youth in your youth. My saba right or it's corollary. Youth is. Wasted on the young. Toh um, <laughs> David says, God, may you instruct me the way of life. Orachayim, by the way, over here also means orachayim in Shulchan Aruch. Keeping the halachas, following the prescription that the Torah has for how to lead the good life and, and all four, actually, five volumes of the Shulchan Aruch. We referred to derech uh, eretz, to kindness and, and being a good person as the Unwritten Shulchan Arach, Shulchan Amidos. But following that, that Orachaim will bring so Vesmachos Ismanecha, Niimos Bimincha Netzach, and will find eternity and eternal joy in God's uh, God's comforting embrace. Yeah. That is from the, uh, let me uh, hold on one